0: Welcome back to another episode of Dre Friction. I'm Dre, and I'm about to call some friction. The Axman Murders. Oh my. Yes, I do. I know. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the Axman of New Orleans, let me help you out. The Axman is credited for more than just the cool title. This guy most definitely earned that street cred. So, who was this madman? We'll stick around to the end to find out who I think he is, or rather, shall I say, who he was. Between 1918 and 1919, in the city of New Orleans, an axe-wielding psycho was on the hunt. His prey seemed to be the Italian community of New Orleans. And, well, I'm pretty sure you already know his weapon of choice. Here's the kicker, though. He never actually brought his own axe. Nope. Instead, he just used theirs. He had to have also been a part of that community or frequented it enough to know he need not bother to bring his own. His victims, well, no age or gender exclusivity there. From the elderly to the infant made no difference to this horrid being. It is said there are 12 known victims in total. There is also another side of the Axeman that is most certainly noteworthy. The Axeman is known to have had a love for jazz music. Now, on March 13, 1919, the Axman sent a letter to the Times-Picayune. In this letter, which I'm totally going to read to you guys, the Axeman refers to himself as a demon and a spirit, he also states that he will be passing over the city of New Orleans on the following Tuesday and anyone who does not have a jazz band in full swing will not be spared his wrath. So yeah, there's some cray cray right there at its finest. Luckily, it does seem as though the city of New Orleans had no problem complying, which is pretty crazy too. All right, all right. I'll read the letter already. Jeez. The times Yoon. Hell. March thirteenth, 1919. Esteemed mortal, they have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth, I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigation in the past. In fact, They have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph. But tell them, beware. Let them not try and discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am. But I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the Angel of Death. Now, to be exact, at 1215 Earthly Time on Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition for you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the neither regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If anyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse. Hoping that thou wilt publish this, it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, in fact, or realm. fantasy, the Axeman. Now let's go over some of his victims, shall we? Let's start with the first. Joseph and Catherine Maggio. May 23rd 1918. Joseph and Catherine were asleep when the killer broke into their home and cut their throats with a straight razor then bashed their heads with an axe. Both weapons used in the gruesome attack belonged to the victim Joseph Maggio. Police found the murderer's bloody clothes inside the couple's apartment, as well as a razor and an axe that slayed them. A message was written in chalk on the pavement that read, "Miss Maggie will set up tonight, just as Miss Tony." The killer had chiseled a panel out from the back door to gain entrance into the home. Louis Basumer and Harriet Lowe, June 27, 1918. Louis Basumer and Harriet Lowe were attacked during the night. Louis was hit with a hatchet above his right temple and Harriet Lowe over her left ear. Both Louis Basumer and Harriet Lowe survived their attack. However, on August 5th, 1918, Harriet died due to complications from a surgery to repair her partially paralyzed face. The hatchet belonging to Louis Basumer that was used in the attack was left behind and found inside his bathroom. While investigating, the police also found letters inside his home written in German, Russian, and Yiddish. Police then suspected Lewis as a German spy and began to investigate him for potential espionage. Harriet later told police that she too thought Lewis to be a German spy, and she suspected that it was he who tried to kill her. Harriet's statement was seemingly enough to give the go for the police to arrest Lewis. After Harriet's death, Basumer was charged with murder and served nine months in prison before being acquitted on May 1st, 1919. Anna Scheidner. Anna Scheidner was attacked May 5th, 1918, while sleeping. At the time of the attack, Anna was eight months pregnant. She was found by her husband sometime after midnight with her face cut open and covered in blood. Both Anna and her unborn child survived the attack. She gave birth two months later to a healthy baby boy. When questioned by the police about the horrid experience, Anna could not recall the details. Police believe that she was hit on the head with a lamp. Investigators also speculated that the attack had similar markings to that of a Sumer and Maggio attacks. Joseph Romano, August 10, 1918. Joseph Romano was an elderly man who was living with his two nieces, Pauline and Mary Bruno. The sisters woke up hearing commotion coming from their uncle's room. They found their uncle with two serious head injuries. The killer was just exiting upon the niece's arrival. Pauline and Mary described the assailant to the police as a dark skinned, heavy set man in a dark suit and hat. Authorities found a bloody axe in the backyard, and the Romano's back door had a panel chiseled away. Joseph Romano died two days later from the attack due to severe head trauma. Charles, Rosie, and Mary Porta Magillia, March 10, 1919. Charles was an Italian immigrant who lived with his wife, Rosie, and infant daughter, Mary, in the suburb in Greta, Louisiana. Rosie was found standing in the doorway with a serious head wound and holding her dead infant daughter. Charles was found lying in a pool of blood on the floor. Upon inspection of the home, police discovered a panel had been chiseled out of the back door. Charles and his wife, Rosie, survived the attack, but sadly, Mary, their infant daughter, did not. Steve Boca, August 10th, 1919. Steve Boca had been sleeping when awakened by a dark figure with an axe. His head had been split open. Police discovered Boca's back door was missing a panel that had been chiseled out, indicating the work of the axe man. Sarah Luman, September 3, 1919. Sarah Luman, 19, was found in her home with a head wound and missing teeth. The attacker entered Sarah's home through a window. A bloody axe was found in the front lawn. After being questioned and making a full recovery, Sarah could not recall the details of that night. And last but not least, Mike Pipitone, October twenty seventh, 1919. Mike Pipitone was attacked in his bedroom in the middle of the night. His wife awakens to the noises coming from his room and went to check on him. When opening the door to his bedroom, she saw a man holding an axe and running from the scene. Mike Pipitone had been struck in the head, covered in blood, his wife unable to describe her husband's attacker. Now, I don't believe the Axeman can be credited for all these attacks. Some of these attacks have also been thought to be the workings of the mafia. Clearly, he had his own signature, and that was obviously chisel and axe. In all, it is thought to be 12 victims seven of which survived, but due to the severity of their head wounds, were unable to recall any significant details. Retired Italian detective John DiTeno described the killer as having dual personalities and killed with no motive. He referred to him as a real-life Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The Axeman was never caught. I personally believe the Axeman to be a man named Joseph John Devella. On the night of March 19th, 1919, the same night the people of New Orleans were told to jazz it up, Davila did so by composing a piece titled, The Axeman's Jazz, Don't Scare Me Papa. He composed this while waiting for the axeman. He also sent it into the Times-Picayune, which is where the axeman sent his letter. Clearly, we have a killer who loves his jazz. So much so that he states he will spare anyone who has a jazz band in full swing on that night. Now, I'd say Joseph de Villa was looking for an inspirational piece, which is exactly what he would have gotten that night. But let's go further. March 19th is not only the day that the Axeman was able to get the people of New Orleans to jazz it up, but that same date happens to be St. Joseph's Day. In the letter the axeman sent, he called himself a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. In the Bible, in the book of Matthew, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and told him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife because what was conceived in her was from the Holy Spirit. Which makes me think that Joseph, the axeman, was a child of an actual whore whose father was worried about his reputation and likely ditched baby mama. Now, The angel goes on to say that she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will be the savior of his people from their sins. So you know what that means, right? Do was literally an Italian who targeted his own people for what he thought were their sins. He possibly believed himself to be their savior. I'll conclude with this because like I absolutely have to. The letter that the Axeman wrote and sent in for publishing, I just really can't imagine a greater thing, for the time speaking (laughs) Like, first of all, I'm loving way too much the way he begins the letter with, esteemed mortals. Like, come on, y'all already know, this letter about to get lit. Then, the taunting starts right away, talking, they ain't caught me, they ain't seen me, and they never will. Of course, He then goes on to say he's a demon and a whole lot of other cray-cray, but still, the taunting, way too funny. Dude mocks them on everything, down to the way they have handled the investigation. Like, hello, you guys do know I'm paying attention, all right? So great. Well, when he finished that letter up with threatening the lives of those who don't jazz it up, I nearly peed my pants. As far as serial killer letters go, 10 out of 10. Mm. And as always, thanks for listening to another episode of Dre Friction. Bye bye.